You're listening to the podcast of ASN Kidney News, the news magazine of the nephrology community. ASN Kidney News is a publication of the American Society of Nephrology, the world's largest professional society devoted to leading the fight against kidney disease. In this episode, ASN Executive Director Todd Ibrahim interviews Dr. Roseanne Leipzig and Dr. Dimitrios Oriopoulos on the topic of geriatric nephrology. I'm Todd Ibrahim, Executive Director of the American Society of Nephrology. Today I'm joined by Dr. Roseanne Leipzig of the Mount Sinai University School of Medicine and Dr. Demetrius Oriopoulos of the University of Toronto Faculty of Medicine. During today's podcast, we will be discussing geriatric nephrology. Dr. Leipzig, what is the demographic imperative of an aging population? The term demographic imperative refers to the fact that we are having an unprecedented number of older adults living well past 65 and even to over 100 in the world, but particularly in our nation. And so some people are referring to this as the graying of America, the age wave, the tsunami that's coming. At the moment, we about 13% of the population is over 65. And the estimate is that in the year 2030, which is not that long from now, it'll be 20% of the population. Another way to look at this is that centenarians, people 100 and over, are the fastest growing age group in our country. And the estimate is that we'll have as many as a million centenarians by the year 2050. Dr. Oriopoulos, why did ASN develop a curriculum in geriatric nephrology? Well, uh, what Dr. Leipzig finished saying is has already started reflecting in the practice of nephrologists. The average age of the new patients who come to dialysis between 64 and 65, and the nephrologists are being inundated with the patients of 80, 85, 90, 95 who have renal failure. So the Accreditation Council for Graduate Medical Education mandated as of this year that all the new nephrology trainees should be trained in all the aspects of geriatric nephrology. I think that a few of us, we had realized the need for geriatric nephrology training for the last 10, 15 years, but now when this has been mandated, we have an opportunity to have an impact on this. And I think that the American Society of Nephrology took the lead to establish the curriculum and facilitate that training because there are problems. There are very few geriatricians around to, to teach it, but I think that the, the program directors and the nephrology training programs now have to take that very seriously and will be inspected if they are training their trainees in the aspects of geriatric nephrology. So is the, the sort of aging of the population occurring in the nephrology patients sooner than other subspecialties? It is something that uh, we were not expecting it. There are two aspects on that. One thing is that uh, since the introduction of the automatic automatic reporting of kidney function from serum creatinine, I would say something that was introduced the last two or three years. Primary care physicians and family physicians here in Canada uh, are being puzzled seeing patients with normal serum creatinine and impaired kidney function. So uh, the nephrologists are being inundated with the referral of elderly patients with impaired kidney function. But as the population lives longer, now the 
the life expectancy has gone up to 18, 80 years in Canada, we see more patients with renal failure who are elderly and who are prone to develop renal failure because already have impaired kidney function. So that is what's happening in the frogs now. And I guess the question that I have is, how does geriatric medicine relate to the rest of internal medicine, particularly nephrology? I think the way to look at this is that geriatrics is not something separate and its own turf from other disciplines, that 60% of doctors take care of older adults, and it's more of a thread that goes through all of medicine, so that in addition to the particular differences in care of older adults because of changes in kidney function, there's also changes in the rest of the body and the rest of the patient, their psychosocial conditions, cognitive functional abilities that change the way in which doctors need to think about caring for older adults. So I think that geriatric medicine is a part of all of internal medicine. It's a part of all of surgery, not just internal medicine. So in terms of caring for older adults, um, for older adults that have kidney disease, what are, what are some of the big challenges that you face? Well, one of the biggest problems we have now, how we can separate, how we can identify what we expect as a normal, in quotes, decline of kidney function. After the age of 40, uh, there is a decline of 1% per year. And when does this become abnormal and when is normal? And uh, we have, at the same time as people get older, we have more hypertension, we have more diabetes, and there is the mix-up now of the normal decline with, at the same time, the patients who have also diabetes and hypertension and other conditions. And uh, separating the two is very critical. And But to emphasize what Rosan said is that uh, these patients now, we have to realize that it's not only the older adults that we, they have the disease, but they have so many other problems that uh, we have to take it into consideration when they, we care for them. And polypharmacy and ethical issues, uh, rehabilitation, falls, etc. So we have to learn how to look at the whole patient and not only kind of kidney problem only. I guess a, a natural follow-up question would be, as you look at your patient population, particularly older adults, and I'm thinking of this for patients with kidney disease, but also patients with, with other conditions, what are some of the advances that physicians have made in terms of care of older adults? The main thing is that now we're accepting more people. Now, you can say recent advances until 15, 20 years ago, we, were, we would consider seriously whether we should dialyze a patient who is uh, 85. Now we have opened our doors and that everybody is entitled to, to our services. But main advantages that I see is that we are understanding better now all the problems renal-wise that they have, the normal decline, the role of diabetes, the role of hypertension. We have found now some ways of trying to prevent the evolution of renal disease, even though a lot of them die from cardiovascular complications and that, but now with the introduction of multidisciplinary teams in the management of patients with um, stage 3 and stage 4 kidney failure, we may be able to arrest or slow down the decline of kidney disease. I think that this is the most important thing, that the introduction of drugs like the ACE inhibitors and the receptor blockers, the understanding that control of hypertension is very critical in these patients in the 
arresting the decline of kidney disease. So I think we have done some strides in uh, many patients, but at the same time, the wave that we have of diabetes makes our trend uh, gains, uh, it uh, eliminates our gains. So even though per million of population we see fewer patients going on dialysis, uh, the total absolute number keeps increasing because we have more and more diabetic patients. I think that the diabetes and old age, type 2 diabetes and old age go, go together. And Dr. Leipzig, from your perspective, um, as you look at some of the advances we've made in terms of treating older adults, I'm wondering sort of what your observations would be. Well, I think we've done a lot to compress morbidity. We haven't done as much as we'd like to, but I think people are living longer, healthier. There's been a decline in disability over the past 20, 30 years. That's really quite exciting. I think we've recognized that one thing that differs in older adults and a lot of the symptoms and syndromes that they have is that it's not a linear one cause, one problem. There's a lot of multifactorial disease. And so there are risk factors within the individual, risk factors within the environment that cause older adults to fall, for example, to get confused, to have urinary incontinence. And the good news is that by small changes in several of these areas, you can improve the outcomes for the patient. So you may not be able to cure, but you can certainly improve outcomes. And that's kind of the other area that we've really become much better at understanding, and that's the importance of function and the importance of function to the patient primarily and to look at function as an outcome, not just you know creatinine clearance. So in addition to improved outcomes and higher quality of life, what are some of the other rewarding aspects of caring for older patients? There's a real personal satisfaction. It really doesn't take much to make a very big difference in the lives of a lot of older people. And the continuity of care that you're able to have with older patients as well and getting a sense of them their families, I personally I find that the most rewarding part. In that respect, I would like to emphasize the need of multidisciplinary team. We need many more people to look after them, not only the physicians and the nurses, but you have the social workers. And uh, the rehabilitation becomes a very focal thing. And having at least the stage five patients who are on dialysis being able to be dialyzed at home and maintain their independence is very important. I have noticed that in the elderly patients, you have those who are anxious to keep their independence from the doctors, and there's those who are totally dependent, and those totally dependent have a tremendous impact on their healthcare providers. We need to concentrate on them in a different way, in one group to help them keep their independence, in the other group to, in the other group to help their family to cope with the needs of a dependent elderly person. You know, I think there's another piece that goes along with that, Demetrius, which is that as people age, at least for this cohort of older people, there tends to be some reticence to reporting medical problems and saying that there's a problem because once you do that, you set off a trigger of things that a lot of people don't want to get into, ending up in an emergency room, having more tests, you know, things of that nature. And so what we found is that when medical staff are, and particularly multidisciplinary teams, are more proactive and call and check in, you can find out what's happening before it gets to that point where you need an emergency visit. 
So that really leads to a discussion about teaching the, the next generation of physicians, geriatricians, nephrologists, and other, other providers, as well as nurses and social workers. And I guess one of the questions I would have is, what are some of the things that the educational system can do to improve the quality of care for older adults in the future, build in sort of the value of the multidisciplinary teams, but also some of the things that you've learned in your experience that resonate well with medical students, residents, and fellows. When we were trying to develop the curriculum, we were emphasizing to the authors that don't mention things that they can find in their adult nephrology, but concentrate on things that are unique to the elderly population. And there are so many other unique things in assessing multidisciplinary as, as assessment of the, the, the comprehensive geriatric assessments, which uh, the geriatrician is doing so well, but we don't know how to do. And the various aspects that uh, we don't pay that much attention, depression, for example, we don't concentrate on this, on this issue. Nutrition is very specific. The functional capacity of the elderly is very, very important. And uh, then we have the decisional capacity, delirium, the, the drugs that can affect these patients. Quite a few times we, we have to keep saying that kind of, they take so many medications and how do they remember all these things? People who, most of them, they cannot take care of them, 50, 60% they have problems remembering them, finding ways how to help them take their medications or even stop the medications and trying to have a date where the, every new medication should be revisited, whether the person needs it or not. You, you prescribe something and quite often you forget about it and the person keeps taking it. And then you have the ethical issues that will face more and more with these elderly patients, whether they should start on dialysis, especially those who have many comorbid conditions may not be providing prolongation of life, or when they become demented and continue while they have, after they have started on dialysis. So these are the aspects. The problem that I have is that there are so few geriatricians around. How, who will teach them this? So... Some hospitals have active geriatric departments. Some other programs do not have access to them. So it behooves upon to the program directors to learn themselves or to the residents to the curriculum. Uh, in the curriculum, we try to find uh, links with the various geriatric sites where they describe all this assessment, mental assessment, and uh, the various. So we have a lot of things to collaborate with the geriatricians in order to train the new fellows in the geriatric aspects. I think what you're saying is absolutely true, and I think a lot of what at the moment we're depending on geriatricians to teach, as years go on, if we really make the changes that are needed in the curriculum, this will become as much a part of training for physicians as is basic cardiology or basic nephrology. I don't send every one of my patients who has some kidney problems to a nephrologist. Okay, I have a sense as to when it's appropriate and when it isn't, and that's because of what I learned as a student and as a resident and as a fellow about nephrology and the patients I, I care for. And I think the same thing needs to be done in geriatrics and is starting to be done. I was part of a national initiative to identify competencies for medical students in geriatrics, and we came up with 26 competencies within eight different domains, many of which are the ones that we just discussed, medication management, self-care capacity, cognitive and behavioral disorders, areas that don't necessarily get hit in the medical school curriculum. 
And ideally, these would be competencies that need to be demonstrated by the time of graduation from medical school. Similarly, internal medicine and family medicine residents, some of the leaders in those areas, recently came up with 26 more competencies that build on the medical student ones for residents. And then the hope would be that at the time someone starts their nephrology fellowship, they've got that basic piece. Those are the reflexes. That's how you care for someone who's older, and you bring that into nephrology and you learn geriatric nephrology as well and incorporate it into your care of the patient. The need for the nephrologist, because we are also a small number of uh, physicians available, to collaborate in the care of these patients with the primary care physicians or family physicians. Mm-hmm. We cannot look after all these patients ourselves, so we have to to act as a teachers and to collaborate with them, tell them these are the things that we have to follow up and when you should refer, when you should not refer the patient, etc. So we need kind to expand on our role as uh, educators of the primary care physicians. So in a sense, we're talking about multidisciplinary team, meaning both multiple disciplines of medicine and multiple professions within medicine. Correct. So what are some things that an organization like the American Society of Nephrology can do to help facilitate a discussion among primary care physicians, particularly general internists, geriatricians, and nephrologists? Well, we have started that in the in the last few months ago in the meeting of the American Geriatric Society, Dr. Joe Wiggins had a whole session, two-hour session about the nephrology for geriatricians. And But I think that we have to go beyond, and we have started at least here in Canada, training the family physicians, having days for nephrology, what you should know. And, and this, when you ask questions, they are desperate to know what to do with a patient with hematuria, for an elderly patient who has impaired kidney function, and what to do, what to refer, and et cetera. So I think that we have to teach ourselves for the geriatric aspects, and at the same time, teach the community. Now, you say what the ASN can do. I think that they already work, we have the curriculum. We have now for the second year in, in a row during the renal week, a two-day course on geriatric nephrology, but this is for our own, for the nephrologists. We have to go out to the family physician groups ourselves now and try to teach these aspects of geriatric nephrology or nephrology for the elderly people to the primary care physicians. Rosanne, what do you think about that? I think it sounds great, and I think what we need is really a uh, a two-way street here to have the geriatricians also come to the nephrology meetings and work with the nephrologists on these issues. So I think that would be great. Or having geriatricians to come and talk to nephrology meetings and nephrologists going to the geriatricians' meetings to tell our trade to them. Right, exactly. I think the other thing we can do is collaborate on other CME ventures, some online, some of the distance learning. I think there are a lot of people who would be interested in doing self-assessment programs or online CME that has to do with geriatric nephrology. And there is also online assessment of knowledge. I know some geriatric cardiology has been quite advanced in that. Yes. And we can learn from their experience to to introduce this as well. Mm We've talked a little bit about the geriatric nephrology curriculum that Dr. Oriopoulos and Dr. Wiggins were responsible for developing within ASN. And I guess a question sort of building on this is, as you were drafting that curriculum, what were some of the things that you learned that were surprising to you? I was very 
impressed with the enthusiasm of everybody of the group. We have a group of 40 individuals who felt that there is a tremendous need. The time was ripe now for two. And that's, that means that how everybody agreed to that. I think the very important thing to me, which I emphasized before and now, is how to separate the normal kidney decline that appears as CKD and from the real CKD due to disease. And I think that this um, a staging of the kidney failure that we have developed and has served us so well, stage 2, 3, 4, and 5, that's tremendous development, may have to be modified for the elderly patients. It is not necessarily the applicable for the elderly patients. I think that polypharmacy has been a major issue, and that we emphasize all of that. All, all of us that. Need for rehabilitation is very important for these patients. And uh, the ethical issues. Of course, uh, the, the various disease that we are all familiar with do present either in different proportions. For, for example, the glomerular diseases of the adults are different than the, the proportion of the different glomerular disease in adults is different than the proportion of glomerular disease in the elderly and uh, their sensitivity to higher mortality in patients with acute kidney injury is very important. So I think these are the main things that come to mind as you're asking me this question. You know, it's interesting. I think one of the things you're saying, and it pertains to the educational piece, is to get people to recognize that older adults are not just frail or wizened middle-aged adults. You know, there's a whole lot in terms of the physiology, in terms of the ability to withstand insults and get back to equilibrium that's very different in older adults than for middle-aged people. And yet you get people who say, I take care of a lot of older folks. I, I know how to do that. But that's not necessarily true if you're not doing it with an eye to try and understand what the differences are and to use that as a predictor as when you're working with other older adults. This reminds me what uh, George Schreiner used to emphasize years ago that there is a homeostasis in adults that they can withstand the tremendous changes from uh, fluids or temperatures, etc. And that becomes homeostenosis in the elderly. As we get older, this spread decreases and decreases and they cannot adjust to the, the changes in the environment. And that's right. homeostasis becomes homeostenosis and I always remember that. Right. So it sounds like a, a potential opportunity for collaboration would be within the realm of, of continuing medical education as nephrologists are in practice and have, have been in practice for quite some time and perhaps have even gone through the maintenance of certification process that there could be sort of educational opportunities to help improve their skills in terms of treating older adults. Absolutely. Um, we had a nephrologist who had been in practice for 15 years or so who came back and did a geriatric fellowship. And it was eye-opening for all of us in terms of what he suddenly realized were areas in common, but we used different language, we had different tools, we thought of different etiologies. Is this an encephalopathy or is this delirium or is this dementia? Is this frailty due to changes from renal disease alone or is it part of a larger frailty syndrome that occurs in older adults? Does that occur more often in older adults who have kidney disease? I mean, I think there are many issues like that that we need to explore together. 
Yeah. This rem- I, I did spend six months in geriatrics in the early 90s when I did my sabbatical. And when I, I came back, I, I noticed one major difference between practice of adult medicine and geriatric medicine. The adult medicine, we prescribe medications and geriatricians stop medications. <laughs> and that is a concept that kind of has to come in, that kind of medication and medication and that kind of, uh, the, the elderly don't need all these medications. Very important. At least that was stuck to me after six months of training with geriatrics. I think that's very true. I think the other piece of that um, is really recognizing just how many medications are patients are on and how hard it is to know what all these medications are. And probably one of the biggest things in being able to prescribe well is to know what your patients are taking. Let alone the interactions between these medications and the right. side effects of that, yeah. Right. Are there other changes that healthcare professionals, particularly nephrologists, should make to improve the way that they treat older uh, adults? Well, uh, that it's. I think that we have to emphasize as in all patients, even more the elderly should not be looked only as patients, but should be looked as individuals and should look after whole gamut of their existence, whether it's their relatives, whether their finances, whether it's loneliness. Loneliness becomes one of the biggest problems with these patients. And practice the, the art of medicine with them is very critical, very important. And they need us more, more than the other patients, I would say as human beings rather than at the same time as good physicians. I'd second that. I'd also say that understanding the context of these patients and how there are changes that occur with aging that as a physician you need to be aware of, the high-frequency hearing loss. So many women physicians and women staff members are not hurt as well as men by older people because of the changes that occur. So recognizing that and figuring out ways to get around that. Vision changes greatly as you get older. Many of us are learning that before we've hit Medicare age. You know, you need things that are larger print, better contrast. You can't read the small print as well. Um, How the office is set up, the ability to go upstairs, things of that nature really need to be thought about if you're going to care for this population. The final question that I would have is, as you look at the, the U.S. healthcare structure, and, and I think, Dr. Oropoulos, since you're looking at it from Canada, I'm very curious as to your perspective as well. What sorts of changes would you recommend be made to help improve care for, for older adults? From a, uh, a U.S. point of view, we need more primary care doctors. Um, I mean, that's a huge problem. We need better coordination of care so that all members of the healthcare team can work together easily to find out what's going on and to help patients get better and empower them in their attempts to care for themselves as well. I think that kind of the, the lack of geriatrician is very critical. The, their numbers are so small and they're overwhelmed with number, with the, so many patients and they're not always available. And at least in Canada, the, the number of physicians being trained is being controlled and I don't think they're making so much money as the other specialties uh, <laughs> with the various tricks, you know, whether this is intervention, whether this is surgeries or whatever. And so the government has to realize that, that the kind of, they have to be compensated. So a lot of young people may find a good reason to go and become geriatricians. I have to tell you, in the United States, it's, I think, the only fellowship you can do and make less money 
than you could make before. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody has to realize that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is uh, very, very critical as as a, as a system. But uh, I think that they need this. I will repeat what Rosan said, that these people need additional care. Uh, now we are promoting here very much a home dialysis, that people should be treated at home to keep their independence. But in order to do that, you have to have a nurse go and visit them. So you have to have some assistance, whether there's a meal on wheels for somebody to provide their meals, on, uh, whether there's so many things that they will need additional care than us. I think that the social workers are very important. The need for psychiatrists is very important because depression, I have found it, can, depression, delirium is so frequent in these patients. And so kind of expanding the need of a team is very critical of that. In terms of providing dialysis, I think that United States and Canada is doing as well. If not, I would say United States may be doing better. They're treating many more patients per million population than Canada is doing. But once we accept these patients for dialysis and for care, we have to be able to provide the whole care, not only dialysis, and go home and just come back in two days to give you another dialysis. It's, it's interesting. You made the point that home dialysis is increasing. And if I end with where we started, where we talked about the demographic imperative and the fact that the population is aging, is it fair to say that in all likelihood more dialysis care will be delivered in the home for aging patients? Well, the trend that I see now, and which I consider one of the most important things, is the home-assisted dialysis. It started in France. We are starting getting more and more of that in in Ontario, and other countries in Europe are considering. I don't think that has come up in the United States yet, but I think that I don't expect a 70, 80 years old person to do his own dialysis or even with the assistance of a frail elderly partner. So I think that kind of in order to provide that independence, uh, the assistance at home by a variety, whether this is practical nurses, uh, registered nurses, or the team, or even paid friends who could help would be very important. So to answer your question, I believe that with assistance, this is a possibility. I want to thank Dr. Leipzig and Dr. Oriopoulos for joining us for today's discussion and um, how much the organization appreciates your taking the time to talk about geriatric nephrology. It was a pleasure. ASN Kidney News is available for free in North America and is a publication of the American Society of Nephrology, the largest professional society devoted to leading the fight against kidney disease. ASN and its 11,000 members promote expert patient care and advanced medical education and research. To subscribe to Kidney News or learn more about the society, visit ASN online at asn-online.org. Thank you for listening to this podcast of the American Society of Nephrology.